Happy New Year. Been a while since I've been here. Haven't seen too many of the faces. Uh, so just want to, you know, welcome into 2022. Let's see how crazy it's going to get. Now, I reckon, I reckon my lungs and respiratory systems got about 30, 35 minutes in them. They didn't get the memo that COVID isn't actually a thing. It's some kind of conspiracy thing that ran out of China. So they're still operating with the idea that it's real uh, and, uh, and they're suffering for it. So we'll see how we go. We might run out of gas before we get to the end of it. Um, yeah. Hey, let's pray and then, and then, and then we'll dive in, get to work uh, in this um, Loving God, we want to thank you uh, primarily as we've been seeing and hearing and reading this morning for your word. Uh, without it, we would know nothing of you. Without it, we would be just wandering around in the darkness. There would be no light for our feet, uh, no illumination of our lives' paths. Through it, uh, you bring your character and your will, uh, your goodness and uh, your, your disclosure to us so that we can know you, so that we can become what you've created us to be, delighting creatures in your goodness and in your grace, uh, in your mercy and in your justice. And this morning as we, as we dig into this psalm, our prayer uh, is that we would be people who seek to delight in your word more and more and have it shape us have it shape how we live, have it shape how we relate with each other as a church family, how we interact uh, with the world. Uh, this is our prayer this morning. We pray this uh, in Jesus' name, who is the Word made flesh. Uh, and we give you thanks for that. Amen. Well, as you have guessed, and as Sandy let you know, uh, we're back in Psalms again. Uh, Summer Psalm series is a bit of a rhythm that we've developed since about 2019, we've been just starting the, the year in the Psalms. It's kind of just a, a nice, easy way to just ease our way uh, into the year. Uh, the Psalms, we'll probably say this every year, the Psalms are kind of like a unique composition uh, in that they're, they're written, like all Scripture is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they're written by human authors as they think about God, as they, as they understand God in light of uh, his revelation to them. And, and as they understand that in the, in the experience of life that they're going through. So Psalms, are, they kind of work out of a, a known uh, knowledge of existing truth about God, his revelation to us. And, and then they kind of born out of how the writer has applied uh, that, has, has wrestled with that, uh, prayed with that, despaired in that, longed and given praise in light of the truth that is known of God in the context of their life experience. Uh, Bob Vogel, preaching professor, he's retired now, been retired for a while, uh, but I just like his name. He says this, they, the Psalms do this. They do more than just express human passion and thought. They are the place where that passion uh, and the grace of God intersect in life. They are the product of that work. Psalms represent theology, our understanding of God at work in real life and enable later readers to use them in contexts that are similar, are corresponding to the situation in which the psalm was originally written. Psalms describe the faithful attributes of God that have been universal principles uh, for believers throughout history. Um, 
and encourage current readers not just to know intellectually about these known principles of God, but to, as we read through the Psalms, to invite this into our life situation and to trust in this as the psalmist did and to be shaped by them as the psalmist was shaped until they give way in our lives to things like comfort and grace and repentance and praise. Psalms were the songs and the prayers of faith that Jesus and the early church turned to, to fortify their hearts with what they knew to be true about God and to have that shape their experience of life. You know, during his life, and in particular in the last week of his life, Jesus turned to and quoted the Psalms. Jesus used the Psalms to express both the the anguish of his soul and and the confidence that his soul had in God. Uh, On the cross, we see this there, quoting Psalm 22. We hear Jesus saying, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The anguish of the soul. And then uh, we read that in Matthew and Mark. And then in Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus also quoting from Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit, confident and Trust in the refuge of God. The early church turned to and prayed the Psalms when it encountered things like persecution. You can read about it in Acts 4. There, they're praying through Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage and plot in vain? And on the Psalm goes. And they sang this song until their hearts were comforted by the truth that's contained in this Psalm that God rules history and its movements, not the Sadducees or any powerful institutions. And as they sang these psalms, uh, their lives were shaped by them. And then we read, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts 2 and 13, we hear uh, Peter and Paul using Psalm 2 and 16 to explain the, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if Jesus in the early church shaped their lives with these psalms, these were the songs of their hearts, then the psalms are certainly a good place for us to seek some shaping uh, of our lives, of our practice, of our beliefs and our faith, of our character and our conduct and and our relationship with God and our understanding of God, perhaps most importantly. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, our boy Paul, he tells Timothy that all scripture is breathed out of breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. At this point in time, it's roughly 64, 65 AD, Paul is operating out of the law, out of the prophets and the Psalms. It's possible, it's possible that he may have encountered some of the synoptic gospels, maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They've been written by this period. Jesus, when he was having, and read about it in Matthew 4.4, when he was having the veracity uh, of his identity challenged by the devil, this is the temptation in the desert, in the ploy to make Jesus dip into his divinity to save his own life, responds by saying, Life is actually found in every word that comes from the mouth of God. So be shaped by that. Be saved by that. Dip into that. 
not, you know, not into how impressively gifted you may be, even if you are the, you know, the divine son of God. Now, think about that for a little bit. The eternal word of God made flesh depended on the revealed word in text to do exactly and perfectly what the author of Psalm 119 aspired to do, longed to do, to live a blameless and blessed life that loves God delightfully and perfectly, like not even Jesus can cheat on being shaped by the word of God. So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in this psalm, Psalm 119, in our little summer psalm series, uh, which is called Shaped by God's Word. Shaped is kind of going to be a bit of a theme for us as we, as we head into the new year. We're going to be pushing at you and asking you the questions, what, what are you being shaped by? And for three weeks, we're going to be looking at how can we be shaped by the Word? And then we're going to be looking at how can we be shaped by each other? And then we're going to dip into Colossians and look at how, how is it that we are being shaped by Jesus? Well, Psalm 119 is the one we're diving into at the moment, it is, as Sandy's kind of alluded to, it's the longest psalm in the, in the Solster. It has over 176 verses. And so over the next three weeks, uh, we're going to apply its message out of these verses about the vital ministry of the Word of God in the inner spiritual life of God's people. And we're going to hopefully seek to have that shape our practice our own walk, our own way of life. And hopefully we can join in with the psalmist and declare our lived out and experienced love for God's law that completes us, that comes in and completes us in delight and and equips us uh, as, you know, Timothy alluded to, uh, Paul told Timothy for every good work, for everything that the the Christian life is going to ask of us so that the Christian life would not be some uh, begrudging duty, some, some daily chore, but that it would shape us so that it becomes a delight that is fueled by intimacy with God found in His Word. Psalm 119 celebrates the wisdom, the truthfulness, the clarity and the grace, the instruction and the power of the written revelation of God, how it shapes our beliefs into practices, how it turns knowledge into worship, enables us to grow in holiness and handle all kinds of environments and circumstances with confidence, turning belief into character and transformation this is the kind of stuff that lies at the very heart of the Christian life. Belief, belief systems, belief structures, they don't just produce com, uh, conduct and character. They don't just you know, produce delight in us. Beliefs are not magical spells. They have to be turned into character through engaging in them through, through practice they become delightful through encounter and experience. You, you have to be intentional about this. You have to be, as the psalmist says, guarding your conduct with the word. Read that in verse 9. Storing it up in your heart to fight sin. We read that in verse 11. 
You have to take God's word and actually read it, meditate on it, pray through it. If you are not shaping uh, your inner life with the word of God, so that then uh, shapes the outworking and the practice of your faith, uh, what the psalmist continually calls in this psalm, your walk, your way, with God's word, then you are practicing a faith of your own making. It is not Christianity. You are practicing a faith of your own imagination and values and standards. What the psalmist calls false ways in verse 29 or worthless things in verse 37 or the way of the wicked and the insolent. And this is extraordinarily dangerous because our hearts are naturally set at enmity we've got, are, are sinful. They need the word of God to be transforming their values and things. God's word is neither a lamp for your feet or a warm blanket for your soul. It is not the source of life that shapes our practice that Jesus claimed it to be. Psalm 119 calls us to delight, to participate, to be intentional in the ministry of the word in our hearts. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. And 171 of those verses celebrate the ministry of God's written word. God's word in its various forms is mentioned in at least 171 of those verses. How God shapes us in delight. How God's word shapes us in grace. And how God's word shapes us in confidence. They're just a couple of themes that... I've kind of pulled out of this psalm, and they're the, the themes, uh, and you'll be glad to hear this, that they are the three themes uh, that we are going to be looking at. We're not going to be going um, exegetically, line by line, uh, to, great, to my great disappointment, through this psalm, but just thematically kind of looking at it with themes, uh, and hopefully you'll be out of here before 2 o'clock. Psalm 119 is an anonymous psalm, and we don't know who actually wrote this psalm. There are a few kind of luminary uh, uh, candidates. There's David, there's Jeremiah, there's Daniel, there's Ezra, you know, the priest. And all of these lads encountered, you know, rolled with the kind of people, the social circles that we meet in this psalm. Uh, they all had the adversaries and the opponents. They all experienced failures and had the longings described in this psalm and all of these lads as well are shaped shaped all of those encounters all those relationships and and things with the applied love of God's word so it's very plausible could have been any one of those uh four it, it might not have been any of them we we don't know but regardless of who wrote the psalm it is considered to be the Mount Everest uh, of the psalms not just because of its size but because of the hunger for holiness, uh, the passionate desire to understand God's law in a, in a deeper way, a personal way, and have it shape the, out our character and our conduct uh, and to delight in intimacy with God. That out of that, uh, we would have this blameless pursuit of God in our lives. The psalm, structurally, is written as an acrostic of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. You will notice in your Bibles, if you've got them there open, or if you, you know, open them on your phones or whatever we do these days, um, that there are headings at the top of uh, every 
group of eight verses, and, and those headings are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. We had Aleph and Beth today. Uh, and every line under those headings, those eight verses that you'll see, will start with that letter, that Hebrew letter. Um, sounds a little, uh, you know, type A, but it's actually a literally device to paint a picture of the order that the Word of God can bring to the chaos of life. Like there's order and there's structure and there's beauty There's no definite flow of thought from the beginning to the end. Uh, The sections in this psalm, and and that's why Sandy's kind of like read through to verse 16, oh, that could be the end. There's there's no kind of continual like links of chains connecting each of these uh, sections, but rather it operates more like um, a string of pearls where each pearl has an equal but independent value uh, in, in its little section there. The psalm begins with a picture of the value of this order in the lives of a believer that the law brings. And it does that with two little beatitudes there in verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong but walk in his ways. How does blessing, how does delight come into the life of God's people? Well, by being blameless. The first pearl, the first eight verses of this psalm give us eight truths that lead to this blameless life in each of the eight lines. And they all involve doing words, shaping words. There is a lot of intentionality here. Walking, keeping, seeking, fixing, fixing, like fixing our eyes, learning. That the psalmist may not forget God's word, but would delight in it, be shaped in it to live out this blameless life. But first, what we need to understand is that blameless here does not mean sinlessness. To be blameless means that you are consistent to your beliefs. Your way of life aligns with its theology and its doctrine. There's no hypocrisy or uh, duplicity in how the blameless person conducts themselves. They cannot be accused of being anything other than what their worldview, their God, or their law ascribes of them because their character and their conduct so matches its inspiration, so matches its description of the human condition, which in this case is the law of the Lord, the ministry of the Word of God in their lives. The blameless person acts in accordance with the ministry of God's law in their heart. So... When the sinful person goes astray, as the psalm has on repeat, they recognize that in the steadfast love of God, he has provided a means through his word to approach God in confession and repentance and make their cause known to the Lord that they might be redeemed and saved according to the promises and statutes and principles of God's word, which is why the psalmist is just so almost over the top in piling up the ways in which they plan to diligently keep God's precepts, walk in his ways, have their eyes fixed on all of God's commandments, learn God's righteous rules, keep his statutes, guard his heart with God's word, seek God's commandments with all their hearts, storing them up to keep them from sin, praising God. God 
actually instructs him on how to live, how to deal with hardship, how to to live with happiness, how to confess sin. Through meditating on God's precepts, precepts with delight and not neglect. The more the psalmist pours God's law into their heart, the more they find that their life is shaped by its wisdom, by its design, its grace. There is actually freedom, not slavery. There is courage, not shame. There is delight, not duty. No less than eight times, the psalmist describes the law of God as their, as their delight, and six times as something that they actually love because of how it shapes them. Another thing that we need to understand is when the psalmist speaks of the law, he speaks of it with a much broader scope than just the Ten Commandments. The law is a big, multi-sided idea for the writer of Psalm 119. Is where the entire written revelation of God exists. And this is borne out by the use and the interchange of eight uh, different words to describe Scripture, if you like, the law. The word, there is the word law, Torah, and we find that 24 times in the, the word. That's another 24 times. Judgments is used 23 times. Testimonies, 23 times. Commandments, 22 times. Statutes, 21 times. Precepts, 21 times. Promises or, you know, your word, 19 times. The, the law is this big, multifaceted uh, total uh, revelation of Scripture. It's the same scope that Jesus used in John 10:34 when he quotes from Psalm 82:6, and he says, "As your law," and he's talking and he's quoting a psalm here to appeal to the accepted and unbreakable canon of Scripture as revelation from God. So God has said it. Who are you to dispute it? It's His law, and He's talking out of a psalm. He does it again in John 15, and in Luke 24, he groups the law and the prophets and the Psalms as a whole united revelation of God about him. It all points to him. It all speaks of him. It's all revealing the word in flesh. Tim, Tim Chelly's writer from the Gospel Coalition, explains that basically the psalmist in Psalm 119, with just the Old Testament at his disposal, which he views in general terms as God's law, is writing about the incredible love for anything that God says, whether it's actual commandments or blessings or prophecies or decisions or stories, whether God says to his, whatever God says to his people is utterly lovable. Every scrap of what God reveals in speech is priceless, including his rules, including his judgments. This untiring emphasis on his love for the law has led some people to accuse the writer of actually worshipping the law rather than God. However, as Warren Wearsby, just another cool name, and David... Uh, Good sick, point out, and I could never be a, a scholar, Mason Taylor. Um, every reference here to Scripture, every reference here in this psalm to Scripture, whether it's the law, the word, the precepts, etc., without exception, relates uh, in personal address explicitly to its author. Indeed, 
Every verse from 4 to the end is a prayerful, personal address to God. This is true piety. A, a love of God that is not desiccated by the study of his word. And that word desiccated, which is a cool word, means not made dry and, 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 and dead and lifeless. But rather it is refreshed and, and informed and nourished by its, its engagement in the word of God. Now I've been a Christian for nearly 33 years. I became a Christian just after I turned 18 you do the maths. And I have to say, rarely have I heard people describing the law of God as in the full counsel of Scripture that Paul commends to Timothy, that Jesus uses to defend and define himself, as something that they just delight in, as something that they just love. They just can't wait to read through the Pentateuch. Like, I just can't wait to get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Everyone starts the year with a resolution to read the Bible. And then about March or April, when we get to those books, it's kind of like, man, phone book. Ugh. It is rare, sadly rare, that we are so excited about the Word of God that we get out of bed to read it early and meditate on it as, this, as the author of this psalm does in Psalm, in verse 147. He says, I stop seven times a day there in verse 164. Finds it sweeter than honey, more desirable than gold. As Nick and Krista read through the psalmist's relationship with the law, the commandments, the testimonies, the precepts, the statutes, the words of God as being one of delight, one of love, and even salvation. What, what, how did it rest with you? What did it feel like? Could you kind of relate to the psalmist? Would you feel comfortable praying out that psalm as being actual representation of our life and our engagement, our experience with the word of God? Not me. Not all the time. And even though I am someone who... Uh, for the word of God is where I feel God most uh, profoundly and intimately. I'm not, I'm not someone who goes, oh, look at the sunset. Oh. I go, oh, the sunset. I only think that's beautiful because of my understanding of God. Otherwise, it would just be some random act of craziness. Too often, I think our experience of that regular time in God's word, it, it feels like work or duty. It's, it's, a, it's a desiccated experience. And we just tick it off before getting into the, to the, the day's activity, little own it finding it kind of enjoyable. Can't wait to wake up and get home from work and just read the Bible. It, it's interesting. We had to do some time uh, in isolation because of COVID and having it and all of that. And it drove me nuts. Uh, like I, was, I just sat there thinking about all the things that I was not being able to do in my, in my holiday time. And I was just like out of my mind, frustrated about it. And then Sandy kind of looked at me and said, you know, I kind of just have enjoyed, and he's going to find this very hard to believe, I've just enjoyed time with you, just hanging out here. I was thinking about that. How often are we, are we kind of like, 
I just want to get out and, and get on with things. And what God is saying is, you know what, I just want to spend time with you, hang out with you. Just kind of sit on the couch with you and, and let's just have a relationship that shapes each other. How is it that we move from duty, maybe even frustration, to being shaped with delight for the scripture? And the answer is actually in the law, in the word of God itself. It is a delight-producing experience, unlike sitting on the couch with me. The psalmist in verse 32 says, I will run in the ways of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. The more time the psalmist spends pursuing, that's, that's why he says, I run in, I'm pursuing. I'm not just kind of casually walking after this thing. I'm running in it, having my life shaped by God's commandments. The more his heart is enlarged by this, it's transformed by the encounter. The word of God builds more room for, for, for more of God, for more knowledge, for more experience of him, for more delight in him. And we are fundamentally created for this. We are created to know God and enjoy him. So Warren Wearsby points out in his little commentary, as we cultivate an appetite for the word of God, and the psalmist describes that kind of cultivating an appetite in verses 10 and 20 and 40 and 81 and 131, and, and we feed on the word of God, we give the Holy Spirit something to work with in our hearts. And as he does, he enables us to both encounter God and obey God through the illuminating of God's word in our hearts. Like it's the word of God that actually creates the delight. The law of God is spiritual and can be used by the spirit to minister to our spirits. Now to be clear, nobody is saved or sanctified by striving to obey the law. That's something we're going to be looking at next week in next week's sermon, the relationship of, of law and grace that's at play uh, in this psalm. In fact, to, to unregenerate, to unsaved people, the law can act and is actually an enemy because it announces, it makes known their condemnation that they can't be saved by doing, doing, doing. To the legalist believer, the law is a master that actually robs them of freedom and delight. But to the spiritually minded believer, the law is a servant that helps them see the character of God and the work of Christ. Like as you read the whole counsel of Scripture, you begin to see the character of God and you begin to see the work of Christ emerge and come out. What greater thing could shape you with delight? Tim Chelles again says, The law of God, indeed all of Scripture, is God's character externalized. It comes to us from the very heart and mind of God. His purpose is not first to tell us what we must be and what we must do. That is not its number one priority. Its purpose is to tell us first who God is, what he's like, so that we might know God and delight in him. And right there, the Bible confronts you and me. If we don't love the law, and by extension, all of God's word, and don't want to be shaped by the law, then perhaps we don't love God who gave us the law. Do we love the law of God like the psalmist did? Do we treasure it as he treasured it? Do we meditate upon it and internalize it and live in the light of it as he did? The psalmist loved the law of God because he loved the God of the law. 
and it produced delight in him. Does, does it produce the same delight in us? When the psalmist looked at the law of God, he saw the person of God, the character of God, the heart of God. And as he read God's word, he came face to face with the God that he loved. He saw in the law an accurate portrait, an accurate reflection of the character of God, and he loved it because in that he saw that God loved him. The writer of Psalm 119 was not satisfied with having the law in his home on a bookshelf, was not even satisfied with having the law in his head like dry knowledge or, or, or the law that uh, over his hands and what he did like a master. He wanted it in his heart where it would shape his life with delight. He longed for a heart shaped with intimacy with God. What the psalmist longs for, Jesus delivers. The psalmist only had the character of God in text, but as we read in John's Gospel, in Jesus, text took on flesh. In Jesus, we have the Word made flesh, and we have flesh that loved the Word. Jesus lived out a way of life that the psalmist pursues, and he lived it out perfectly. Jesus loved the law of the Lord, and we see Jesus in his life. He meditated on it day and night, so that it shaped every step. Like when he's out, when Jesus is out praying, like we read how he goes and pray, what do you think? You think he's just making stuff up to pray? No. His understanding of the, of the word of God is shaping his prayers, like it shapes his conversations with the Pharisees and with the devil. Every step from the cradle to the cross, from the tomb to the throne of heaven, shaped by the word of God. Jesus is the perfect and personal ministry of God's word there in him we see the full disclosure of his character his love his justice his mercy his salvation in Jesus we have a complete picture of God to fill our hearts it moves from from words and texts on a page of salvation to incarnate personal living real actions of salvation we have far more of a picture of the character of God to fill our hearts with delight than the psalmist could ever have dreamed of having. We have the complete picture of our salvation and freedom from sin, from its rule and its chaos and its death. We have been given uh, life according to uh, the steadfast love of God in, in, in its full revelation. We have a complete picture of how in Jesus, blamelessness is a reality attributed to us, not by us. We have the full picture of grace. If the psalmist, with their limited knowledge and their resources, could find the kind of delight expressed in this psalm, how much more you and I, how much more as we have the full counsel of God, what is shaping your heart? What, what is shaping it with delight? What is enlarging your heart? You think about the proportion of time that you spend reading the Word of God to enjoy it versus the proportion of time you spend doing any other activity. And, and, and we start to wonder, why don't we delight in that word? We need to spend 
more time in it. Now, to me, it's kind of like, get your Bible, open it up, and start reading it. And if you don't have a good Bible, you know, that has notes and things that can help you read, man, come and, we'll, come and see us. We'll get one for you. There's other things that we can use to help with this. Like, this is just, I don't know, practical stuff. You don't need to go to Bible college to do this. You just need to walk into Woolworths and buy a little book, some highlighters and that, and this is all I do. It's just got Mason 2022 written on it. No, nothing crazy here. And as I go through this year, I'm just using, I've used it before, Don Carson's edition of For the Love of God. And it's just a Bible reading plan. It takes you through the whole Bible in a year. And that's just an aid. You can, you, you know, we've got things like Kurong. You can go and get this stuff. And it can aid you. Like we buy all kinds of stuff to aid us playing tennis, uh, driving a car, um, doing our work. We spend money on this sort of stuff. And, and yet when it comes to nourishing our souls with the word of God, it's kind of like, mm, I'm not doing that. There are other things like if you want to work through a book, there's real simple stuff. Uh, uh, there's a, I think this little series called, you know, James for You, and, 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 it's, and it just walks you through the book of James, and you can have that in your quiet time. There's Old Testament ones. If you want to push a little deeper into theological things, there's, there's things like this book by Bruce Ware, Big Truths for Young Hearts. Now, I, I love this book because it makes theological concepts real simple <laughs> for me. You, we have so much at our disposal. You get a Bible reading plan, or there's daily things like this one by Paul David Tripp. This is brilliant uh, in, in, in helping us understand grace every day reading in it. And then, you know, little thing by Warren Wearsby that's helped me write this sermon today. There's so much that we can be, can be doing. There's no excuses, really, apart from what we've set the affections of our heart on. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. The prayer actually comes from the last uh, verses of the psalm, and there's a little bit from our reading today. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. For you teach me your statutes. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you. Let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. Amen.